0: this is what ethereum did three years ago in in DeFi summer this is this is what the start looked like right it was mostly just poking around like playing with apps that You probably don't necessarily want to, like, lever 3x long on a certain DeFi asset on Solana right now. But you're just, like, executing transactions and playing around and, like, throwing 30 bucks in a a liquidity pool or something. If you fast forward long enough to that world that you described where there was all these things that are happening on Solana that cannot happen on other chains. And it was, like, this rich experience where there's so many things that, like, you're playing games on Solana and you were doing X, Y, and Z, social apps, whatever it is. How would that all start? and my answer would be it would probably look a lot like what's happening right now.
1: What's up everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that like Dan and I you believe the future of finance is on the blockchain and we're excited that London is becoming a global hub for blockchain innovation and institutional adoption of digital assets. That's why we're pumped to host the 2024 Digital Asset Summit in London this March. Don't miss your chance to get ahead of the curve. Later in this episode, we'll tell
0: you how you can save 20% off on your ticket. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. We've got an analyst episode lined up for you today. We are recording on December 11th, and we are joined by Ren and Brick from the Blockworks Research team. Uh, all of us spend all day every day working towards building a better Blockworks Research, so be sure to check out uh, what we've built at app.blockworksresearch.com. And if you're looking to get a subscription, uh, we have a discount code running for you, 0 X Research 10 all caps. That'll get you 10% off an annual subscription at checkout. Uh, so we've got a good episode lined up today, we've got governance updates and a classic game of Hot Seat, Cool Throne. Uh, Sam, you want to get us moving, man? I, I know you got some good governance updates queued up for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the first one I actually just saw this morning, Cryptocondom tweeted about Rollbit's proposal to uh, switch from a buy and burn to a rev share model, which is pretty interesting considering how much revenue they actually generate. Uh, it would be like a one-year lockup, and the the logic there is you want a long lockup needed to ensure that the API stays pretty high and looks really attractive, thus providing a floor to prices. I imagine what the motivation is, and there are two options for claiming theoretically if this gets uh, implemented. So you can either compound the revenue into more R- RLB that's auto locked, thus increasing your pro rata share of uh, the stake weight uh, and revenue or you could do a 90% cash claim, which is uploaded into your account is what it sounds like. And then 5% of that will go to a Uniswap LP uh, locked as sell side liquidity and 5% more for buy side liquidity. So pretty interesting mechanism here. You can also unlock early for a, a penalty. So you'll basically get slashed and the RLB that you forfeit will be burned. So still have a little bit of that burn mechanism in place as well by default. So thought this one was pretty cool. What do you guys think?
2: I think it's a interesting proposal, given that historically there have been a lot of concerns around velvet. You know, we haven't really seen the buyback and burn do its thing yet. I think people were projecting like twenty, thirty percent of the supply was going to be uh, burned over the past year, but you know, price is still kind of flat over the past few months. So hopefully, this will inject some life into robot and the whole entire gambling sector i i am still slightly skeptical that like robot is a bit sketch because a few people on ctf pointed out that their numbers are just so much higher than the closest sort of like gambling protocol competitor but i do think gambling protocols in general are one of the long-term winners as crypto as you know like degenerate degeneracy just flows through like the human blood that's something you can't fade
0: Whenever I hear about like revenue distribution programs, it's something I want to write a report on at some point. But the most efficient way to do that is—it's is, not—it's not trivial, especially if you're like a dex. Like I know the guys over at Curve think a lot about how their protocol collects captures fees, then collects them, so actually puts them in one spot and then distributes them it's It's not just like as simple as it seems, especially when the fees are quite large and in the context of curve, uh, they're in various different assets, so there's a lot of swapping that needs to go on so a you got to play fees on those swappings, and b you can't get sandwiched on those or else you're losing fees so it's like this really really complex thing of like actually turning on a fee switch, uh, which is definitely not spoken about a ton uh, so whenever I think of like uh, a revenue distribution mechanism. It's pretty interesting. I like their, in the context of roll, but I like what they're doing with the, the cash claim going into your account. If I was a gambling protocol, that is definitely what I would do is give the gamblers more money directly in their accounts. That takes an extra step to take off. It's still giving it to you, just putting it you know, in your account so that you can withdraw and, and access it, right? But on a gambling platform, what do you have as users? Gamblers. So uh, it definitely makes sense to kind of help keep uh, that stickiness there. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of that, a lot of that revenue ends up kind of getting pumped right back in. So really well designed there, I think. Um, but on like the, you said the first half was like a buyback and burn. Is that right, Sam?
1: Oh, instead of buybacking and burning, um, it's going to compound in a more RLB token. Ah, so right. then like your stake weight is just increased. So therefore like your pro ought share of the rewards each week will go up.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't love buyback and burn. Uh, it doesn't seem like it seems like something that works great in something a super efficient market, like, say, the stock market, uh, where all you're doing is changing the denominator of shares outstanding and the fair value remains unchanged. And so like the the price actually flows back to the holders. Uh, but in super inefficient markets, like most of crypto, if not all of crypto, uh, I don't know if it's just as effective. So cool to see that there. They kind of pivoted away from that, too.
1: Yeah, I feel like Rollbit's like one of the most controversial uh, topics in crypto, to be completely honest. Like you either absolutely hate it and think it's complete farce and they're making up the numbers and it's going to be insolvent any day now, or you're like a mega bull on it. So I don't really know where I lie, to be completely honest. Brick, I know you said you're a little bit skeptical of the revenue numbers. Would you would you double down on that, do you think?
3: Yeah, or I mean, it's tough to say. Of course, I'm just speculating, but it's weird that you have somebody who has such a or a protocol that has such a sticky customer base and who like create so much, I don't know, gambling volume or trading volume compared to other platforms. And even when other platforms try and like acquire customers through different com- kinds of schemes, uh, A, either they don't like reach even close to those numbers that Rollbit has or B, the customers aren't sticky at all, then they just bounce away. So that kind of makes me worried in that sense but at the same time i don't really have any proof about like there being any funny business going on on rollbit so like at the end of the day i'm just speculating
1: yeah no i feel you though i mean i like i thought winner winner protocol i don't even know how you pronounce it but that arbitrum stip recipient would see a huge boost in volume because they got like half a million to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars of of arb tokens to them and the numbers on that thing is still just flat like i don't know why people aren't using them it makes me highly skeptical of the roll bit numbers but i guess we'll see um ren i know you got some
2: uh, a good update on lyra v2 so I'll, I'll kick it over to you i do uh lyra v2 is coming hot they recently passed the governance adoption and sustainability for um that basically includes an incentive program with 150 million units worth of the lyra token over 24 months to bootstrap Lyra chain and v2 of the protocol, similar to DYDX's incentive program, and they have an ongoing vote ending on December 13th for the deployment of the Lyra v2, which includes deploying the chain, the protocol, and the exchange, which are kind of all like separate things, but uh, for simple sake,s just think of it as they're going to deploy like this whole like crazy options exchange on an OP stack rollup. so yeah, the foundation is going to fund a security model. And once that goes live, V2 mainnet and the incentives will start. I think that token hasn't been doing like particularly well uh, over the past year. This could be a catalyst, but I will say that the perp Deck space is very competitive right now, especially with DYDX incentives kicking in um, and you're seeing sort of good volume there. Um, and also AVO, AVO's NLP stack roll-off. Lyra V2 is going to be an OV stack rollup. So the question is going to be like, why should I use AVO versus Lyra V2? And I think that remains to be seen. They they do have like some very cool, like architectural like developments um surrounding their order book. Um, But yeah, just wanted to put this out there. I would say some other just random governance updates you should be paying attention to. One is the Orca fee switch. That one passed, I think, Maybe one or two weeks ago, I'm not sure what is implemented already, but given that Orca is one of the largest like, spot dexes in Solana, chances are it's going to be like a pretty decent amount of revenue. Um, and another one is CowSwap's like fee switch. They're sort of debating different fee switch modules, and you know, cow token is at 44 million market cap, and it's kind of like one of the only tokens you have if you want to get exposure to an intense space protocol. Um, and I know like, I personally don't like the word intense that much. I kind of feel like it's like a VC term that like everyone like just like walked around with, but you know, eventually like it's going to catch a narrative and everybody's going to be like really hyped about intense, just like how at some point everybody's going to be really hyped about like corporate services, even though like no one really knows what it is. Um, so yeah, just putting that on your radar, I'll pass it back to you, Sam.
1: Yeah, no, those were those were all solid. I'm curious though, are you are you bullish on Lyra V2, or do you think the the
2: space like I guess is just getting a little diluted? I think the space is getting pretty diluted. I think Ava's done a good job uh, with their perps, their pre launch futures. That seems to be becoming a big trend, and I do think pre launch futures will just continue to grow in magnitude during a bull market like everyone just wants to like ape the airdrop before the airdrop comes especially like if you didn't get the airdrop for example like layer zero tease that they're considering like a token airdrop in q1 2024 assuming like you faded Layer Zero and you didn't like farm the living shit out of it chances are you might want to get some exposure through pre-launch futures right sure like liquidity isn't the best but i do think like there's like pretty good product market fit for launch futures so yeah i'm not sure entirely about just like a options exchange and one more thing like i, I want to buy like options on sort of like tokens that i think are going to go up over like the one the next one or two years for example like solana i would love to buy like a leap on solana if have an expiry that's like two years out but like those don't exist you know like the best expiry you can get is like maybe like one month so yeah i think like the perv space is like pretty diluted already. And like the options is like even more competitive just because there's so much less users and there's like very strong network effects. So like the options exchange.
0: The Evo thing, the prelaunch future specifically is really cool, man. Like I know we talked about this a bit an episode or two ago, so I don't want to dive too deep on it, but I thought it was really, really impressive how they kind of, they that was where price discovery happened for Jito before the token successfully launched. Like they pretty much nailed the, uh, the kickoff price. And that, that was pretty interesting. Cause I was looking trying to like do some comparisons to see how accurate it would be. And just the one that I quickly looked at at the time was say, uh, the say token launch. And that one actually looked like it was not accurate at all, but I don't know enough about how the to- say token launched or what that process looked like to really, you know, and I also think that was the first Avo pre future launch futures, uh, the first token they supported. So also don't want to really use the first one as a base case here. But I I I using the GTO one as a base case. And again, super solid sample size. But I think it I think if it works, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. The key is just going to be getting enough liquidity there because I know there was like very, very little liquidity to actually utilize uh for the uh, the Gito launch, but I know Hyperliquid's doing this too. But nonetheless, I totally agree with you, Dan. I think pre-launch futures, like for sure, will find product market fit. It's just a matter of where most of the volume occurs. Um, but moving on a little bit, Arbitrum has a proposal live to do a research and development collective. Uh, I know you guys probably remember the listeners, um, us kind of talking about our original proposals. So basically we wanted, or the DAO wanted it to be more of an RFP process. So unfortunately ours did not pass, but we're super excited to see this moving forward. We think it's a great initiative and much needed. We think that, um, you know, there needs to be research conducted on governance related things in order to educate delegates, do analysis uh, from the economic risk standpoint etc there's so many different use cases for a body like this um so the vote live right now is to fund a six-month term for the the collective of 880 thousand arb 1.3 million arb or 1.7 million arb um for a six-month term so we'll see if that marches forward uh does anyone have any thoughts on this or have we kind of beaten this one like a dead horse or whatever the saying is
3: I think I've seen some interesting uh, or interesting comments connected to that where like people still want to see some um, changes to the proposal that's going up or is up right now where like they want to have the salaries or like the amounts paid to the different service providers to be even more like better defined such that like one entity can not just slack off and still get paid. like the full amount and I think that's been like historically a pretty important part to get right when you do this kind of DAO funding things which I thought was super interesting
2: yeah i would just add on that I think like more so now than like when we first talked about like this arbitrum coalition idea that's probably needed the idea of like this research sort of um coalition for lack of a better term uh, because like you're seeing proposals like left and right, and they're really wide ranging right like there's one proposal introducing Arvis gas that came in like six hours ago. I know um Matt and our team talked about like deploying like the ARB treasury into like r w a s and then you know you have like incentivizing delegates back funding stiffs like it's getting like maybe not so nice, but it's getting like a little out of control in my opinion. It feels like people are just like randomly proposing things like left and right. I don't think the community is gonna do a really like well informed vote. If, for example, introducing Arvis gas, um, if that goes to like a vote and that has like pretty important ramifications for Arbitrum as a token and Arbitrum as an ecosystem, you you really don't want to just be like aping that vote. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty needed right now.
1: Yeah, and your costs are denominated in ETH, so like at some point you've got to you know pay the bills. So. Like a lot of research needs to be done on that. You just got like random people proposing these on the forum. It's like, maybe we should take a step back and look at this a little deeper. So I definitely agree with you, Rand. There's some, some crazy shit going on in the Arbitrum forums these days. But uh, actually, that reminds me too. We've got that Arbitrum staking proposal that did pass. So I'm not sure exactly what the implementation timeline is on that. But I assume that is something worth paying close attention to. So we'll get you an update on that next week. But moving on to the next proposal, and this is our last one for the week, but Synthetics is voting to launch on base, remove SNX inflation, as well as uh, implement an SNX buyback program uh, where it'll be burned and it's 50% of fees uh, going to this buyback and burn uh, ordeal. So you can definitely see this in uh, SNX price action. People are getting pretty excited. That thing was held under three dollars for quite some time and finally broke out over the weekend so this is definitely uh feels like the next catalyst for sNX and a really good direction for the protocol in my opinion but do you guys have any thoughts
0: yeah govHub users are the winners here because I think that was in our govhub protocol or our, our platform sorry about I don't know feels like a month ago westy was all over that one so props to him there as well um yeah I mean that's huge like Synthetics has been leveraging their token inflation to bootstrap their uh, staking, the staking side of their protocol and it's worked and it's kind of achieved what it needed to do. Uh, so now it makes sense to like turn it off, right? You're a mature product and that's kind of what the natural evolution of these things was supposed to look like uh, when we started doing this, you know, back in 2020, 2021. And so to see that actually come to fruition, even just like th- two, three years later is really damn cool. Like this is the, what progress is supposed to look like. Um, that market seems to be reacting as if that's the case too, which is cool to see. Um, so yeah, you know, congrats to the synthetics team. Like that's, that's pretty cool to kind of hit this milestone.
1: All right, ZeroX Research listeners, we're calling on you to join us for the premier institutional crypto conference in Europe's crypto capital, London, this March, 2024. You're going to get to hear exclusive insights from industry trailblazers on things like leveraging DeFi protocols for institutional yield, tokenizing real world assets with instant settlement, navigating the evolving global regulatory landscape, integrating digital assets into banking and payments, or crafting institutional investment mandates with digital assets as the key focus. We'll also be featuring some big keynote speakers including melvin dang the ceo at qcp capital mark yusko the ceo and managing partner of morgan creek capital and stani koluchin the founder and ceo of ave companies This is not an event you're going to want to miss. Seats are limited, so be sure to register today by hitting the link in the description and using promo code 0X20 to save 20% on your tickets. See you in London, the land of tasty pastries, and be sure to hit up Dan and I for a beer. I think that's a good time to move it over to Hot Seat Cool Throne. Ren, do you want to kick it off
0: for us? Yeah, go ahead. First? Yeah, I'll hijack Ren's. We kind of uh, we got a tag team one uh, this week, so we are going to put Solana in the cool throne. And honestly, how it ended up here was because there are so many reasons for Solana to be living in the cool throne this week. Uh, so I'll hit the first uh, list litany of things, and then I'll let Ren take it away. Uh, but first and foremost, the Jito airdrop, man, that was really cool to see. Basically, Gito basically airdropped a new car to all of its users. The token ran up. Launched at about one ninety two two dollars, ran up to about four forty or so. Um, so the airdrops were between you know, let's say, let's use the launch price of about two bucks. Every recipient got between ten and two hundred thousand dollars. That is absolutely insane. This really does feel like a momentum driver for the entire ecosystem. The COO of Judo Labs, Brian, he put out a pretty cool thread that was just like a reflection of the day at the at the end of the. Um, release day or launch day. And it was really cool because he mentioned how many teams all were like working together to make this a flawless token launch. And that is exactly what it was. There was DEXs, there was Sexes, lending markets, um, you know, even wallet apps were, were all on the same page for that exact day, that exact moment, token goes live. It's easy to access. And most importantly, the chain hummed along without a single problem. Um, so net net it was just really really cool to see that there was actually i wish i could find this thread but it was by a cosmos developer i want to say it was related to the tia token launch but i'm not i'm not positive on that but basically this developer was saying like it's really really hard to get a perfect launch of a new product a token whatever it may be because you need so many teams to all be like prioritizing that event which every team is doing different things like where this event ha- falls on their prioritization table is going to be different, right? And so it, it's just like thinking about um, a little bit more separate or lack of connection in an ecosystem like a, a series of app chains versus something like Solana, which is all about atomic composability on one single layer. Uh, it's really cool to kind of see the teams were working together. And in a, when there's so much infighting going on in the industry right now, this was just so refreshing for me personally. Um, so congrats to the Gito team. We launched a podcast with Lucas. Uh when you by the time this comes out, it'll be yesterday. Uh so be sure to check that out. We really dove deep on again just like how they operate on the MEV side of things because there's so much innovation going on there, as well as this thing called StakeNet, um, which I'll I'll let you listen to that episode to get an idea what StakeNet is, but why I want to bring it up is because what they're doing in this is putting three years of validator history directly on chain. They are putting, they're using, Lucas's words where we're using Solana as the database. And so why I love that so much is because we are seeing the exact opposite narrative from the Ethereum community, where fees are expensive as shit. And that is something that has to be dealt with. And the response has been, let's just push that off chain. All right, like in a lot of a lot of use cases that's fine maybe or it works or it delivers a better product for like an example of that would be UniSwap x right they do computation off chain find a filler and boom you've got a better order than what you would have had that's net positive for the user but then this kind of keeps cascading and it's like where do you where do you stop and then now there's discussion around uh removing events and events basically tell you what occurred in a transaction and they are emitted only to like communicate with the user um and there's a huge discussion around moving these off-chain. Uh, and so basically what that's doing is giving less information to the user about what happened in their transaction and making data analysis much harder. And to me, as a data analyst, like that is a little antithetical to the idea of blockchains being transparent. And I know like super low level engineers and be like, you're an idiot. That's not this what's happening at all. And that's true on a technical level. All of the data transaction data is still on chain and you can replay those off chain and get the same results. I get that. But on a practical level, data analysis and, and like building things on like uh, an understanding of what's happening on chain is all done for EVM chains is all done through events. Like that is how it works today. And so, yes, we can pivot and change all that, but do we really want to like be pushing all this off-chain? It just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So it's very refreshing to see Solana being like, nah, we've built a system where che- fees are so cheap, we can literally use the chain as a database for three years of validator performance history. And they're going to use that to do this really cool thing, which again, I'll let you dive into the Gino episode for that. But uh, again, so what Solana is doing is seeming to work. And I think people are catching on because another reason we have them in the cool throne this week uh, is priority fees are making an all-time high. So the weekly values close every Sunday night. uh, So we just set a new all-time high of 250K in weekly priority fees. So still peanuts on a relative dollar value, um, but the chart is just absolutely up and to the right. It's about a new all-time high by like 40 or so percent uh, and It's really just proving that users want transaction inclusion and are willing to pay for it, which is kind of a very important piece of the puzzle. But the fee mechanism is it works, but it's not optimal, basically. So right now, 50 percent of the total transaction fee, which includes priority fees, are burned. And that is different than something like Ethereum, which only burns the base fee and has the entire priority fee flow to the validator and why that matters is when you're burning the piece that flows to the validator so the priority fee when that gets burned the validator then becomes incentivized to like make a side deal with the user or what they call like out of network payments so if i was a user willing to transact and i was willing to pay one soul in priority fees the validator of my transaction would get uh f- 0.5 soul after the 50% of it was burned as their payment and so I'm incentivized to figure out who that validator is, make an out-of-network payment to them of like 0.51 um, or f- 0.51 sold, right? So just over that 50% mark. And that way I am paying less and the validator is receiving more because none of that out-of-network fee, uh, payment will get burned. And so net-net, the validator's happier and I'm happier as a user. And so this isn't great. It's a bit of like a val- value leakage in the system. And you know, the research, Solana researchers are aware of this. Uh, it just hasn't become a huge, huge issue yet. And so there's a, we'll give, put this link in the show notes, but there is a Umbra research paper that dives into like what Solana fees look like today and kind of what the fee me- mechanism design is. And this paper was written by uh, Eugene Chen, a 0x shit trader. Absolute stud of a researcher. So definitely give this thing a read. I think there's a lot to learn uh, from what they're talking about. And then the last talking point I have today uh, as it relates to Solana, this one's a bit tangential to why Solana is in the cool throne, but uh, it's just a really cool, not not even cool, it's terrible. But Connor, a director at Coinbase tweeted this out the other day, and it wasn't that long ago where Robinhood had to force liquidate about 1.9 million in Sol from their holders because... The SEC came out and said, "Soul's of security, you can't have this listed." And Robinhood was like, "Well, shoot, what do we do?" Like, you know, it's the SEC—we kind of are forced to listen to them. And so they sold. This this was basically at this uh, soul lows too. And so the SEC just absolutely wrecked the retail users that were using Robinhood, forced liquidated them, costed him over a hundred million dollars, approximately um so it's kind of interesting to see this and more, more interestingly robin hood is launching in the eu and seoul the asset will be listed there so not only can u.s users not only did u.s users get liquidated at the lows uh, but now european users can access this asset so you can kind of just see like the overall mess that got made here but uh yeah i guess that's a bit tangential so i don't know if anyone has.
2: Uh, any any points on any of those
0: topics that I just brought
2: up. I got a quick question for you, Dan. Um you say priority fees are reaching all time high and I would guess like that continues to increase as uh, activity on Solana increases. If Fire Dancer goes live and transaction throughput like 10 X's or 50 X's, whatever Fire Dancer is promising, then there's a really sort of no need for people to pay priority fees anymore and will that drastically come down?
0: That is a very interesting question. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, to be honest. I'd have to think through that. That is an interesting one because there's like the idea of de- induced demand, I think probably will play a role here in the fact that more transactions can exist. They probably will exist. Um, similar to like, you can say, Oh, I don't want to go too tangential, but uh, so I think the reason I think that might play a factor here is because, If the throughput is that much higher and it's actually being filled, then there could still be like that same bit of hot state, right? And in fact, like if you're still fighting over the same state, then you're still going to see those increased transaction fees. So uh, I would say no, not necessarily that that they'll go lower. I I would expect them to stay flat or go higher, to be honest. First reaction. And again, I definitely need to do more research around that specific topic.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of going to switch the topic in the sense that go back to the whole airdrop thing and like how Solana has basically been kind of growing throughout the last three or four months or so, where it's so funny how suddenly everybody starts talking about how great the tech is and like how it can revolutionize things when the price goes up, even though the tech has always been there. Like it's interesting to see the price kind of drive the narrative but i feel that it's definitely deserved and it's cool to see now that every piece or all the pieces are kind of falling into place where like first the L1 token goes up in price and then these like high quality projects start uh popping up and of course they've been building for a long time and then like these wealth effects start coming into play where like airdrops become uh more meaning maybe them more meaningful but like real users can benefit from that and then wealth effects can grow on the chain and uh that that leads to more usage and like that kind of starts off the flywheel and things are looking kind of cool right now for or super good for the chain and yeah I gotta say I wasn't a big believer like three months ago but now I've kind of flipped my mind on this and think that this will definitely be a big narrative or continue to be a big narrative going on or going into the next year.
0: I, uh, I had someone reach out to me, a team member of like a pretty m- prominent player on the investment side of the space. And about two months ago to the dot, he reached out to me and was like, all I'm doing is like looking at Solana metrics and seeing all of these like increases of activity. And I go try to find something interesting on chain and there's just nothing like it's, it's still a barren, desolate land. And I, uh, he reached out back out to me today, actually right before we started recording and was like, all right, I was completely wrong. Like this is the most fun I've had on chain in, in years, since 2021. And it's true. Like, I, I think you have a great point about, the price driving the narrative here because price goes up, people bridge over, you get on chain. And one thing that I think is truer, true with Solana more so than any other chain is once you use it, if you're a previous Ethereum user and you use Solana, you notice the difference. And that I think feels good. And if there's things to do and it feels good to be there, I think you end up staying. And so I don't know. I, I think you're definitely right that price drove narrative on this one. Uh, but now people are here. And so it's a question of Well, what are you gonna do with these users?
1: I agree with that. I I, like. I do think it comes strictly down to like the user experience. I think we were kind of like head in the sand a little bit, like kind of like just using the different L2s. Like, got used to it. Loved the ultrasound money narrative. uh, Got a little bit ahead of ourselves, and then you kind of realize, ah, shit. Like, I want to use FriendTech. Got a bridge to base. Like, oh, I want to use Vertex. Got a you know bridge to Arbitrum, or oh, I want to use aerodrome i got a bridged optimism like that's a pain in the ass like even to just get yourself over from one of the l2s or ethereum over to solana once you get there you're like all right i'm just gonna chill here because i don't feel like going through all that again and then like you see like the quick fees or the the low fees the quick transactions and then you're like kind of i don't know sold pilled a
2: little bit i'll i'll be a bit cynical here i think like the user experience is definitely great you know like i don't need to wait like 12 seconds for my like transaction to confirm gas is like 0.00001 probably i probably missed a zero in there but as far as like things to do i, I would guess like your average is just still doing like the same things that would that they would be doing on ethereum probably a bit richer from the you G- G- but you know just still like trading on the perfdex they're still, like, borrowing and lending and, say, like, MarginFi or Camino, or they're LPing on Meteor, or trying out, like, um, Jupiter's like, new, like, sort of product. It's not like we've went through, like, an entire paradigm shift and Solana suddenly has, like, 10x more interesting apps. Sure, I'll add a caveat that it seems like there's a lot, sort of, like, broader apps out there on Solana. You know, there's, like, interesting deep-in projects. Um, There's sort of, like, slightly more consumer focused apps. But it's not like we've reached a stage where like your average, like normal human being that's like not a comfy DJ and just wants a 10X long like Eve has that much more to do on Solana today.
0: I hear you, but I'm gonna push back because this is what Ethereum did three years ago in, in DeFi summer. This is this is what the start looked like, right? It was mostly just poking around, like playing with apps that you probably don't necessarily want to like lever three X long on a certain DeFi asset on Solana right now, but you're just like executing transactions and playing around and like throwing 30 bucks in a, in a liquidity pool or something. Right. And so that if you fast forward long enough to that world that you described where there was all these things that are happening on Solana that cannot happen on other chains. And it was like this rich experience where there's so many things that like you're playing games on Solana and you were doing X, Y, and Z social apps, whatever it is how would that all start? And my answer would be, it would probably look a lot like what's happening right now, where you're doing a lot of the same things that happened three years ago on Ethereum, but that's onboarding, um, that is onboarding developers into this ecosystem because now there's like, people are talking about it. As Brick mentioned, the price is going up and it gets automatically more interesting. It's just how, that's an unfortunate way this industry definitely works. And then on top of that, once you start bringing in, increasing number of developers a lot of them start building
2: developer tooling which is like a really really key aspect here that needs to get better like building perhaps even like soon surpass surpassing ethereum on things to do i do think there's a path that's perhaps a bit more straightforward for solana than ethereum to reach um mass adoption whether that's to like payments it seems like coinbase and circle are both forming up to solana as like um a blockchain to use for payments a lot more in recent weeks. Um Mert constantly spamming Varnam Shang probably did a little bit there. Um, you know, Visas getting used Solana, um, Shopify Pay is also on Solana. And also there's a lot of deep in projects that launch Solana, which I think touch sort of like the lives of like just your average user, right? Like the daily lives of your average user. For example, like helium chances are like you don't like T Mobile because they charge you like $35 for like the cheapest family plan and helium just pushed out their $20 unlimited plan, which is like a pretty good deal. Or for example, you know, you're just a Uber driver or you own a car and you want to earn some extra money, then you can buy a hive map map, and that's pretty useful, I think, both from like a sort of developer perspective, because they launched this new like map image API and Scout 2, but also from sort of like uh infrastructure infrastructure perspective in providing a lot of like this real-time mapping to kind of everyone to be honest you know like it could be google maps it could be like a real estate agent who wants to see like how the current house looks it could be the government if they wanted to see like whether the road had potholes it could be a hedge fund because hedge funds you know they stock like parking lots i put out this example on twitter but there are hedge funds that pay for satellites to stock like grocery store parking lots to basically forecast earnings and i think they're pretty good at it and you know like having something like high map could be really valuable so i do think there's a very feasible path to like expanding beyond you know like perb sparring lending dexes
3: yeah maybe i summarize by saying that my my main takeaway was that like there's probably a lot of or there is a lot of cool tech around in crypto but like The problem is that there's not enough attention to go around for the whole vertical and then some of these chains are probably gonna die, although the solution would be objectively a better uh built like I don't know, mechanism or solution. Uh and you just need that like attention span to go to the right places, maybe even for the um industry to move
2: forward. I agree on the attention span thing. Another thing that I wanna point out on the dab front is say Ethereum goes to ten K next cycle, right? Um that means at some point your very, very standard Uniswap swap is gonna cost like god, like two hundred dollars maybe in the peak of the bull market. God forbid, a really popular NFT launch. And then um thank goodness just been postponed to March. If we're lucky, we might get it by April. I don't want to say it's over for Ethereum, but I think at some point, if you're a DApp, you really have to consider like if every Swapper is paying two hundred dollars just to swap, do like some basic action on your protocol, where could have that money gone? You know, like it could have went to like either side of the marketplace, either like the Swapper, or for example, the LP on Uniswap. And at some point, I think those costs are significant enough for you to like really consider what you're doing on ethereum especially from like a value accrual perspective and i think on solana just from like the base fees perspective like that's so much lower than ethereum but also solana is doing a lot of research into fee markets right you know they have like local fee markets but also um i know anatoly and eugene from phoenix are also exploring sort of like a per account 1559 um they basically want to create this end game. I think this is just a discussion, but an end game where like individual devs can control their sort of like pricing curves for like gas fees because you know like uh, nft mints, a m m central Demo order books they'll all need different curves and I think that sort of like customizability will be very important, especially especially when your dev reaches a large enough scale, which I don't think any dev in crypto is kind of. There yet in the grand scheme of things.
0: One caveat I just want to give to the listeners is, you know, you mentioned that ETH, if ETH runs, then transactions get more spec- expensive, which is true. Except Ethereum is designed in such a designed in such a way that um, it's really it's it's dependent on the users' demand. So you said like an example of about two hundred dollars, which I think it will absolutely hit two hundred dollars. this happened last bull run; no reason to think it wouldn't. But I don't want listeners to take that take away like. It's not like a, a fixed thing, right? Because the price of a transaction will be the market rate of whatever users are willing to pay. Because it, it, even if the price of ETH flies and goes up 5x, that doesn't mean that the base fee will increase that much, right? Like if, if the base fee runs up to 200 Guay when ETH is 10k, then that would be an insanely expensive transaction, like $1,000 transaction, which users won't I'm not going to say won't, but I would be way less likely to pay. So it's however users want, however much users are willing to spend will ultimately determine the price of a, of a transaction. It isn't fixed one-to-one with the, with the USD price. So that is an important caveat there. But yeah, Ren, like I do agree with you. Last bull run, it got expensive as shit to transact on chain. Even right now it's still expensive. So I I definitely agree with you.
1: I would push back on that though a little bit, Dan, just because we haven't gone through a bull market with so many live L2s. Like we have fixed demand for ethereum uh, like da and i honestly think that that marginal usage could like like how many times have you wanted to go bridge from chain a to chain b and realized "Ah, i got to stop through ethereum first because there's not enough liquidity on this bridge to go there like i've been dealing with that with solana which is just such a pain in the ass because i don't feel like going to eth but sometimes i'm just kind of forced to
0: Okay, that's actually a really interesting uh counterpoint to that idea because you're right, and L twos pass those fees on to their users. So I guess like it's still dependent on the users, but like those users pay way less in fees and that still falls down to the to the base layer. So it'd be really interesting. You're definitely right. Right now, I think L twos float between like four and 12% of total gas consumption on ETH. Um, But if that goes higher, like that's going to be a really, really interesting factor here. That's a, it's a great flag.
1: But then on top of that too, like I've even seen L2 fees get up to like 75 cents. Like, you know if you get that gway spike on mainnet and then you've got users trying to transact on l2s doing you know what they're supposed to be doing to scale ethereum even you could see those fees go to two three four five bucks i bet so maybe on the optimistic roll-ups only i'm not really sure i haven't played around too much with the zk EVMs, so i know those are supposed to scale more exponentially with transactions so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but actually i just thought of this too maybe that's what gets uh zk EVMs to kind of get a little little increase in usage because they haven't really seen much against the optimistic role of counterparts thus far but
0: yeah zk sync just launched their latest prover upgrade called Bujum, and right now it looks like it's the cheapest l2 in terms of transaction costs and so uh it's interesting to think about like obviously they're being very heavily sible that's like very clear i don't think there's much debate around that uh, like i don't think that's like a contentious statement and one thing that's doing is amortizing the cost of that many transactions across each user. And that's like, kind of like you need us like if there's one transaction on an optimistic rollup, it would be much trans much cheaper than if there was one transaction on a ZK rollup. And so if you have like right now ZK syncs doing like a million transactions per day, which is way, way more than the other, the largest uh, optimistic rollups. And that actually is driving these fees lower. So like these cyblers and airdrop farmers are like actually providing a value to the chain. Which is like this very weird thing to think about because they're literally just farming an airdrop and they will turn off when that gets launched. Uh, But they are like weirdly doing a favor to the regular users of the chain right now.
1: That's actually a very cool point. But we actually, we totally just went on a nerd tangent, Dan. Brick, who you got on the hot seat, Cool
3: Throne this week? (laughs) Yeah, for my Cool Throne this week, I have the AWO protocol and the whole team. I think they've been launching really cool products lately and just like, pushing out super, super cool stuff. That's kind of, although they're in the options and perps vertical, which is super competed and it's not like a new, I don't know, paradigm in itself. They're just like creating really easy to use, well-functioning products. And their most recent release was the, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. A E U S D I used, which is basically allows um the users of the exchange to earn yield on their collateral. Uh and it works by having a five percent backing of USDC, which doesn't earn anything, it's just there for liquidity reasons, and then the rest, so 95% is um deposited into MakerDAO's die savings rate uh module which is uh or which rounds up to if you like look at the yield that uh, AEUSD token is currently earning it's about 5% apy um and yeah i guess the launch was a bit unfortunate because uh my understanding is that they've been working on this solution for a while but then the blast layer two releasing thing uh kind of front ran them and uh that mechanism did get quite a lot of heat on twitter so I guess not that many people were that excited about this solution either, and I got to say there are some like kind of liquidity concerns, or there are no free lunches here. Um, so, for example, with this solution, like they they're kind of reliant on MakerDAO keeping enough USDC in their uh, PSM module, because basically to put it short, like you need liquidity to be there for able to be able to like pull those stable coins back out to their protocol. So that could be like a risk factor, but uh, all in all, I think it's cool that they're the first exchange that launched this and uh, should be a great way to like attract more customers because yeah, basically if you have two solutions that work equally well, but the other one just provides yield and you're uh, willing to take a bit more risk on which I guess crypto users are usually very willing to do um you should choose AVO as your exchange of or the exchange you're trading on and then also they recently implemented spot swaps within the exchange so you don't need to get out of the like their layer two solution and then get back in but you can swap within the protocol um and yeah on top of that uh, as we talked about earlier on this podcast like pre-launch futures have been super cool and then lastly, to top, to, to top things off, uh like Avo is currently making more revenue than like Rhibam Finance ever did even during the last like peak of the pool cycle, which I just like feel that is a good example of a team executing well and just introducing products that work really well in their vertical. And just as a reminder, uh they're doing their token swap, the latest uh, at the end of next year's January. So definitely, something worth keeping an eye on. If you believe that they're able to penetrate the
0: either options or perps vertical more heavily. Oh, I definitely want to jam on the the tokenomic side of thing here. But uh, first question that came to my mind was you mentioned like maybe you know crypto users are just willing to take on risks. Well. Yeah, the 800 million in the blast deposit contract definitely tells me that's true. Um, but I'm curious, like, do you think this blast model of taking deposits and, uh, like, rehypothecating them into different assets is maybe that's not the right word, but nonetheless, investing the underlying assets in different products? Do you think that? trend will continue with like i don't really think that ever makes sense for arbitrum or optimism or some of these larger chains but i'm curious like that kind of seems like an edge for for smaller chains to be able to leverage that and do something interesting or even app chains like like what Avo's doing
3: to me it doesn't really make sense for like if you're just a basic uh layer two that's like a general purpose uh blockchain then I'd say it doesn't really make sense because you're introducing so much risk that isn't like voluntary or basically if you want to use the chain, you have to take that risk on. But then if you're an app chain and you like introduce a certain solution on top of your like application, which allows the user if they want to to like go into this um, yield bearing Product, then I just see that as a positive because then the user just has the option to do that if they want to, and it should be real or pretty clear that it it's not risk free or like you can say that it's close to risk
2: free, but as I said, nothing's ever free. I think that trend towards capital efficiency just continues forever within crypto, to be honest, and I think we continue to just take that to different levels of extreme after we've, like, reached the next, like, level of risk. I think Avos one is, like, slightly better in the sense that, if I'm not wrong, it's opt-in. Um, so it's not necessarily that, like, your USCC is uh, turned into a USD. But however, like, in a scenario of, like, a mass, like, insolvency event or, like, a mass, like, um, sort of redemption event, I wouldn't be too surprised to if they spread out that risk between, like, the AEUSD converters and like the non-AUSE converters so I'm not sure like there's that much difference at the end of the day I do think like a large L2 is gonna like adopt this like yield bearing token in the bridge contract model sometime in 2024 and I think knowing crypto we're just gonna take that to the extreme I wouldn't be too surprised in in four years there's like Something in like an AVS and like your EVE in the bridge contract is like restaked and actually yield is generated using the AVS. I think maybe, maybe like a scenario where this makes sense is like if you have EVE in a bridge contract for say Optimism, Um, first you stake that into like a liquid staking solution, you get like 3.5% or whatever, and then you put that into eigenlayer and then you delegate that to one operator. Or, like a few operators who are operating, for example, a shared sequencer for optimism, right? Um, and so the extra risk that is basically attributed to your ETH in the bridge contract is A, like sort of like the liquid staking risk, and B the like excess risk from optimism. But sort of like the only risk you have from running that AVS, which is like a shared sequencer, is slashing risk, right? And theoretically that should be defined by optimism because it's a shared sequencer for optimism but you may be able to generate like extra yield or interest or like returns or emissions whatever term you want to use on your ETH in your bridge contract I think that'll be really really interesting to see I'll need to think a lot more about like the potential risk or like alignment of that model but I wouldn't be too surprised to be honest if we see something like that in a few years
1: yeah, I agree with you Ryan. but back to like Avo specifically, I like the idea. I just get worried about the liquidity mismatch like you already mentioned Brick is like a serious risk. Like I feel like a better fit for something like this would be Athena's USD, their stablecoin cuz like it's inherently yield generating and like there's no like you know risk of not being able to actually have enough liquidity to meet withdrawal redemptions, but I don't know. I guess if they've been working on this for, you know, a year like you said, then they
3: they probably didn't know that that was going to be an option at any point yeah I don't know I'm a firm believer in like give the market what it wants and then if it blow ups you can't really like blame anyone else except yourself and kind of from an investor's perspective like sometimes you just have to like bet on these solutions that you kind of maybe are skeptical of uh from a risk perspective but then you also have to know when to get out and like when it gets too hectic so yeah i can't really complain about like a like a layer 2 solution implementing yield into their their mechanism
1: one more question on the the Avo front brick do you know how much revenue they've generated uh i guess over the last month or so sorry to put you on the spot but i'm just curious because i thought the tokenomics redesign they had like a five million dollar buffer until they started implementing the the maker
3: style buyback and burn yeah actually i'm not sure uh of the specific numbers what's been happening recently but Mm -hmm. like for me i define protocol revenue as just like the top line revenue it creates so basically a lot of people call that fees but if that makes sense like i'm not sure how close they are to hitting that so for, for those who don't know um the new uh recently passed proposal changes the kind of the operating model such that like AVO generated revenue is used, the first five million is used to cover operating expenses for the team that has been building the project. And then after that, additional revenue is used to buy tokens from a Uniswap pool and then LPing those tokens back into the same pool. So the same mechanism as maker though is currently using for their protocol owned liquidity, but yeah to, like I'm not sure about the specific numbers how much
0: revenue they've been generating for the last let's say my one month and then on the token side what's the uh so I know they're migrating from ribbon to Avo any other major changes that we should be aware of in terms of the tokenomic changes
3: I mean, I think one thing the market hasn't really paid attention to yet is the fact that um when you migrate from ribbon to Avo, you can't migrate <laughs> straight to Avo. You have to go through like staked Avo and that has a three month like unlocking period or staking period so that means that when the like token swap happens or like you you become able to go from ribbon to s Abo, it's gonna be at least three months until like the full. Liquidity comes back on. And like in the beginning, uh, all liquidity will come from uh, the project's treasury, which holds like around 40% of the supply right now. And that will fully be swapped into normal AVO. So that doesn't have like a staking period. And then off that like 40% of the total supply, a certain amount is going to be used to like, seed liquidity in a Uniswap pool and then the rest will be used for stuff like uh incentives so evo is also planning on doing an airdrop so maybe worth like trying out the project uh if you're looking to like benefit from that but yeah i think the mechanism are super interesting and we could see a like it being beneficial for the token price because Like my guess is that based on like KPIs and fundamentals, the project is doing better and better, but the price is kind of lagging behind. So if liquidity kind of becomes more uh, restricted and then like demand and mind share just go up, it, it could do very well in the future or once they like do the token swap event.
0: Nice. It's definitely a great flag and a good project to pay attention to, Brick. But uh, do you think that's a good place to take it home, guys? Yes. All right, <laughs> let's do it then. Uh, thanks for coming on, Brick and Ren. It was a great show. Uh, if you're listening, be sure to check out Das London. We're going to be there in March of next year institutional focus conference, lots of great people in the audience, incredible panels uh, set up that just really going to dive into how do we onboard the institutional side of the industry? Uh, How do we bring them here? How do we get that institutional capital allocated? What do they want to see? How is that different than what retail users want? Uh, And how can we kind of meet in the middle? So again, Das London, March 2024, be there. We'd love to meet you. Cheers guys.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. We hope you really enjoyed it. Wanted to take one more moment to remind you guys about our upcoming 2024 digital Asset summit in London this March. Seats are limited. So be sure to hit the link in the description and use promo code 0X20 to save 20% off on your ticket. We'll see you in London. Be
0: sure to hit us up if you plan on attending.